Good to see you guys. Uh, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new to Sunridge, man, if, you, if Sunridge is your home, welcome. If you're new here, welcome. We're just so glad that you're here. Before I get started, I want to give two shameless plugs for something that Becky already talked about. First of all, Rooted, it's a 10-week discipleship experience. If you have not done it with us, I want to encourage you to do it. Uh, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, you know, if you've been at Sunridge for 20 years and you haven't taken it, it's like you need to do it. I'm just telling you, it's one of our core curriculum. Uh, it's so powerful whether you're just beginning or you've been a Christian for a long time. Uh, we believe in it so much that we put it during the second service, and I'm, I'm here to say skip church if you need to skip church to go to this. How often does a pastor say that? Go to that because it, you're, it's going to be so powerful. The other thing I want to talk about is Financial Peace University, the Dave Ramsey course that we're doing here on Sunday night. It is a collective uh, where, when we call that a collective, it's like we want the whole church to be in on this. It's a small group thing where we do a big group from up front. We're in a big room, but we're still at tables. Um, man, you know, like when we, you guys did the survey for us, 95% of us told you that it's really important for you to organize your finances around biblical uh, truths. I'm a little worried about the 5%, that didn't, but that's another sermon. Uh, but then 70% of you uh, told us that you have never taken FPU or a course like it. And I just want to encourage you. It's one of those life-changing things that you will do. I'm, I'm not trying to overstate it. It's true. I mean, there are life-changing moments in your life when you become a Christian and get baptized, and then you, you become part of a church, and you, you start to engage in your faith. That's life-changing. It's life-changing when you get married or you have kids. These are just moments that like change the, the trajectory of your life. And I'm telling you, if you can bring your finances into the right relationship with God, you can get them organized around biblical principles. It will change you as a person, but it will also change the outcome of your life. Guaranteed. So uh, register, get in this class with us. You're, you're going to love it. Um, it goes, it ties in, it accompanies this series that we're doing right now on Sunday morning called Money Myths. And you know, a myth is something, a belief that's widely held but false. And I don't know about you, but I just think so many myths are surround finances and, and work and everything. Uh, and in, it seems like we, in the Christian circles, we kind of toggle back and forth between, um, you know, Work is just something that you endure and you just get through it so you can go do the good stuff or the important stuff. Or some, some of us, like, uh, we feel like to be ambitious or to engage in our job. We really love our job. Like, I've kind of like heard, maybe not specifically said, but in some circles it feels like that's sinful, like you shouldn't really love your work. And we, somehow we've separated our uh, work world from the faith world. But I believe that as Christians, we've been given a whole new perspective on work and finances. In fact, the myth that I want to talk about today is this, that the worst day fishing is better than the best day at work. You may have heard that. You know, what I'm trying to get at is this idea that we think that work is just something that we have to endure. It's, it's much bigger than that, and God is in it. When I talk about work, I'm talking about the, the purposeful, intentional thing that you spend your day doing. 
whether it's compensated or not. I'm talking about your job, obviously. I'm talking about your business. But I'm also talking about the nonprofit work that you do or your volunteer work, whether you're a stay-at-home parent. That's the thing that you've been given to do. Uh, there's a cliche that is about work that's attributed to Lee Iacocca. He was the former CEO, CEO of uh, Chrysler. And he said, no one gets to the end of their life and says, I wish I spent more time at the office. And certainly that's true. Right? In this culture of workaholism, you know, that's, that's good advice. But I want to look at work from a different perspective today. Um, in fact, I think it's a more Christian perspective, and it's certainly more life-giving. And it's this. What if, what if when you got to the end of your life and you looked at work, this thing that you spend the majority of your waking hours doing, if you could look back and say, I can see how God was in that. And I can see that it was transformative in my life. And I enjoyed it. What if you could do that? That's what I want to talk about today because I think that you can. In fact, the, my main thought today is this, that work is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Work is one of God's greatest gifts to us. It's better than fishing because, as you'll see, it's something that you were designed to do. I want to point out a few things in that regard. First of all, work is one of God's greatest gifts to us because work is where the secular becomes sacred and the temporal becomes eternal. There is an artificial separation between the secular and the sacred when it comes to our work life. And I think it creates a, a false separation between what some scholars call the first great commission. And that's found in the Genesis account. And what on these core issues of life, I'm constantly drawn back to the origins of man and what the Bible says about how we were created. And I want to do that today. I want to look at the Genesis narrative in regards to work. Genesis 1, 26, 28, and I'm reading from the message here. I'll put the verses, the words up on the screen. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible. I want to just stop there and point out that God says the reason why I'm making these people in my image is so that they can do something, so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female, and God blessed them prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. You see, from the very beginning of the creation of human beings, God instructs people to tend and care for creation. You know, that was the work of that day. And so, 
even though it's earthly work, because it is assigned by God, it becomes sacred. Does that make sense? See, God is present in our work. Whatever that thing is that you do during the week, day in and day out, that is something that God has given you to do. And he is with you in it. Sometimes that's hard to see. Sometimes we can't see God in our work when we're digging a ditch or driving a truck or typing on a computer or designing an Excel spreadsheet or flying a drone over the Middle East or chasing toddlers or organizing transportation of goods across the country or teaching second graders or developing properties. Whatever that thing is that God has given you to do on this earth, it is holy. You know, the Puritans had the right idea here. If you don't know who they are, think of the pilgrims. These were the Protestant believers that came to North America seeking a new life. And they believed that you had two callings. You had a primary call. They called it a vocation. They didn't refer to your work as work. They called it a vocation, which mean, it literally means to call. And I believe you had a primary vocation or call to follow Christ, and then you had a secondary calling to do so in a particular context, your vocation. You know, Apostle Paul, that's what he's addressing in his letter to the Colossians, which, by the way, when we're done with this series, Money Myths, we're going to study that letter from the beginning to the end. I'm super excited about that. I'm writing those messages right now. But typically in Paul's letters, if, if you're unfamiliar, and by the way, the Apostle Paul was an itinerant preacher. He became a Christian through a remarkable way, and then he took the gospel around the known world, establishing churches, and then he wrote these documents, these letters back to those churches addressing things that were going on. And typically those letters would start with the theology, the doctrine, the, the big ideas that what he was going to talk to that group of people about were based on. And then about the second half of all of his letters, they turn really practical. Here's how to put what I just told you into practice. And here's one of the things that he, he talked about to these believers. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. These people are like brand new Christians. It's the first church. It's the early church. And he's saying, that thing that you do, whatever it is, do it as unto the Lord. You see, the thing they were doing didn't change at all. But the reason they did it grew much deeper. There's a false separation that persists, even among Christians, between the secular and the sacred. And that's especially true when it comes to our work life. I think I've shared with the church before the first church camp I went to. I was in 10th grade. They held an invitation, which, you know, was like the preacher preaches. You come forward and you make some commitment. And, I, and he had preached on committing your life to full-time Christian service. So I went up. And, you know, I was assigned a counselor and they said, well, what do you want to do? You want to be a preacher, a missionary? I said, no, I want to be a teacher and a football coach. 
And he's like, oh, well, you didn't understand the invitation, see? It was for full-time Christian service. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I came up. You know, like, I want to be a teacher and a coach full-time for God. No, you got to go back to your seat. Don't you feel sorry for me? Someone told me they felt sorry for me. Believe me, I was rebellious enough to not let it hurt my feelings. I think I was right still. You see, ministry, that word ministry, that literally means service. So whatever we do is a service. We do it in service to God. And your ministry, your vocation is your ministry. It's what you do as unto the Lord. I think I've shared before the story of uh, Sir Arthur Guinness, but I'm going to tell it again because it just, it's such a great story from an unusual circumstance. You know, you're familiar with Guinness beer, many of you. Some of you a little more than you should be familiar with it, I might know. Um, but what you may not know is that Guinness beer was founded by Sir Arthur Guinness in the mid-1700s. But he wasn't just trying to be a brewmaster. Um, you know, he looked around as many people did in their time when the water's contaminated and uh, most of society was substituting gin and whiskey for water. And really his, his heart's desire from a position of Christian faith was to create a beverage that was much healthier for people. That was kind of the original idea. And so he set about doing that. In fact, there were monks at that time and other evangelical churches that did this. And he was, they were brewing beer as an alternative to the poisonous water and what hard liquor was doing to society at that time. And now 250 years later and 150 countries later, Guinness is a global brand. And it's one of the most consumed beverages in the world. Now, what you should know about Sir Arthur Guinness is that that perspective that God was in it, like it drove him. So that in Guinness, they had health care, some of the first health care provided by an employer. They had education. They had personal hygiene and how to stay healthy, education, they even provided housing. And what you may not know also about the Guinness family is they were great contributors to a famous missionary named Hudson Taylor. Anybody heard of Hudson Taylor? 50-some years missionary to China. And it was Geraldine Guinness who married Hudson Taylor's son, and she wrote the seminal biography about the life of Hudson Taylor. It's called The Life of Hudson Taylor. You should read it. It's a, such an amazing story. That was like, that's an example of a person who just did what they did with a motive that God was in what he was doing. And I know that all of us go through seasons where the work that we do may seem mundane and purposeless. But I want to remind you today, Christian, that your daily job is a sacred calling and it has eternal value. And so tomorrow or whenever you go to work, it's like work may not change for you, 
But if you change this perspective and see the sacred and the secular and how eternal things are happening through this temporal thing that you do, it will change the way you look at life. Work is also a gift from God because God uses work to mold our character and to prepare us for the future. Work transforms us. Transforms us in our, in our skill level, but it also transforms our Christ-likeness. Work is, a, is where we face some of the biggest challenges in our faith. The place where we have to work out our faith in the context of real life. There are personal growth opportunities there. I mean, if we ask for a raise of hands, I know many of you would say the biggest challenges that I'm facing have been in my work world. And I'm trying to work out my faith in this context of, you know, learning, learning to love people that are different than me. Learning to be a part of an organization that's creating profit, but not be greedy. I'm learning, if you're a supervisor, how to hold people accountable in a Christian way and how to work alongside people who have disparate values and motivations. That's a real-life context. And work is where those Christian values merge with things that drive us to do what we do in a Christianly way. Work is where God develops those skills that you have that make you competent, that make you um, valuable. And God has gifted many of you, all of us, in some way to do that thing. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Exodus. It's a story of you know, Israel escaping the slavery of Egypt. And, and after a while... Um, they want to create a place of worship, and God wants them to do that. And the first one's called a tabernacle. Not a temple, but a tabernacle where it's like a tent. It's like a place of worship, but it's mobile. And in order to build this, construct this tabernacle, in Exodus 31.1, the Lord says to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to gauge in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, how am I doing? <laughs> of the tribe of Dan to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. Can I just note that when God is lining Moses up for this project, he says, I want to tell you something. There are people that are going to be involved in this. I've chosen them. I have filled them with my spirit. And I have given them knowledge and all kinds of skills. He says, I have given them the ability. And, you know, in this, you know, uh, project, there's a lot of trade work. Have you ever thought about 
the trade work that you do, those of you that are plumbers, electricians, or you, you do things with your hands, that that is a skill that God is in, that he has given you the ability to learn, and some of you have extraordinary skill in the thing that you do. See, work is where God's creativity is displayed in us. And work is where the skills that are necessary to do a job are developed in us and utilized. And you're constantly learning in that skill. And so work is one way that God expresses his unique design and character in you. Yeah, you've had training and education, but I bet some of you feel like in the career you're in, you feel like, I'm wired to do this. That's a God thing. And God continues, if, as a Christian, if we're open to what God is doing in our lives, he uses those experiences that we have at work to make us even more competent. Isn't that true? How many of you have been at a job for a while and you run up a thing and you, against something you say, oh, I've seen this before. And how valuable does that make you to your organization that you have that institutional and experiential knowledge? Have you ever thought about that this thing I do, whether it's at home, whether it's in an office or a shop, or whether you're traveling, that that thing that you do is what God has made you to do? I think it's true. But work isn't just a place where God develops skills in us and gives us ability. It is also a place where God shapes us and he prepares us for the next thing that he has for us and he shapes us both personally and spiritually through that workplace. Think about how over your career, God has done things in you, Christian things, spiritual things, because of the stresses and the things that are stretching you and the interpersonal things that happen, all the things that happen in your workplace or in your home with toddlers. Think about what God is doing in you through that. You know, I got permission from my son-in-law, Phil, to tell you his story. Uh, Phil, uh, married to my oldest daughter, April, was a supercross racer for 14 years, a factory racer, not like a top dog. And at the end of his career, um, he struggled, as a lot of professional athletes do, because their identity is gone. The thing that they did, their lifestyles, it's all changing. So he was experiencing those changes, and at the same time, he became a Christian. So motocross star becomes Christian. Imagine some of the changes that were going on in Phil. But he was also trying to find himself. What am I going to do with myself? I'm seeing faces of guys that I, people that I know that have retired from the military recently. And you experience the same thing. You know what I'm talking about. And you know one of the first jobs that Phil ended up doing was he had a neighbor who had a shopping center that needed cleaned out. And that's what he did. And this place was filthy. It wasn't just filled with junk. It had rats and cockroaches. And his job 
was to go to that place by himself every day with a trailer and a truck and by hand fill that trailer and drive it to the dump. He did this for months. But be, now imagine that. Supercross star at Anaheim Stadium, now in a shopping center, loading up junk. But because he had just become a Christian, he was highly sensitive to what God was doing in his life at the same time. And you know that he let God shape him through that. And he struggled through it, and he went through all the humility and the emotions, and yet God was doing something spiritually in him. And he will tell you that the reason he has a successful business today is because of those months he spent in that shopping center doing this mundane, purposeless work. Not only that, but the person that gave him that job also showed him, kind of mentored him in his career. He will tell you that he saw God working in Phil. And so he decided, that guy gets it. I'm going to help him. God uses these jobs that he gives us to shape us in our faith. I think that that's reflected in an Old Testament book called Jeremiah. It's named after the prophet. And Jeremiah was a prophet that uh, was the voice of God. That's what a prophet did. They spoke to their culture at a time when Israel was being uh, overtaken by the Persian Empire. And so they were being scattered. And Jeremiah was there to speak to those people at this time. And here's what God tells him to say in Jeremiah 18.2. Go down to the potter's house, he says to Jeremiah, and there I'll give you my message. So he went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now look, I know that this is God talking to Jeremiah about, about Israel's situation. But the principle of this arises through that story, doesn't it? And don't you feel, particularly in your work world, that there have been times where God is shaping you like you're a ball of clay and he's got you on the wheel and he's spinning and he's building you up and he's applying pressure to reshape you in certain ways. And then every once in a while, you just blow it and he has to squash you and ball you all up and start you over again. Do you ever feel like that? That's the picture. And God takes our work situation and turns it into a transformation situation, which is why it's so important. Not, not to stay in an abusive work relationship, or I'm not saying that, but like it's important to stick with some things. Because often God is shaping us, our character, and that is preparing us for what he has for us in the future. You know, I think about from the time I was a college athlete, I went in the ministry, that I became a fireman, and now I'm back in the ministry again. And I, in this job today, tomorrow, Monday, I'll go to work. And there are things that I'm, I'm reaching back to that I learned as an athlete, 
that I learned as an early pastor, as a fireman, as a fire chief. These are experiences, not just skills, but they are, there are things inside us that happen through that, that make us ready for the next thing. If you're a supervisor, you've probably written some kind of work improvement program for an employee that needed to like step up their game, a WIP, a WIP. You know, if you're a Christian, you're always on a work improvement program. Sorry. God is always improving us. He's always shaping us, not just in our skill package that we bring, but in our character as well. Work is also a gift from God because work enables us to provide. You're like, oh, I know that part, Britt. It's a no-brainer, right? But can I just spend a couple minutes talking about this? Thank you, I will. <laughs> There's a book in the Old Testament called Proverbs. It's a book of wise sayings. And in Proverbs, if Proverbs 14.23 says this, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So is that true? <laughs> I think it's true. You have to work or you're going to be poor. Pretty simple principle. In Proverbs 20, verse 13, it says, Don't love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. Is that true? All that's saying is work provides. You know, that's reflected even, again, in another one of Paul's letters when he gets to the practical part in his second letter to the believers in Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. And this is like a saying that emerged at that time. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. That was like a slogan that they used back then. You know what that's saying? Is that God, all of these passages, and these are just a few, are saying that God has designed work to provide for us and our family. In fact, it must have been an issue as often Paul, when he writes his letters, he's addressing specific issues. In verse 11, he says, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. All that to say, if you're gonna eat, you have to work. God provides through work. God has designed for our needs to be met through work. And I... The reason why I wanted to spend a few minutes on this is because I know some of you are in really tough jobs. You're in jobs you don't like. Maybe you're not appreciated in your place of work. Maybe it doesn't pay enough. You know, I'm looking out in the audience and I, I know some of you that are working two and three jobs. A lot of you have side hustles just to make ends meet for you and for your family. When I think about when I decided to change my career from pastor to firefighter, I had to go back to school. I, I stepped into the construction field, which, by the way, was a part of God's history for me. And he allowed me, when Cindy and I first got married and lived in Michigan, to work for a custom home builder, a Dutchman, who they're very fussy. I've talked about how cheap they are, but they're also amazing home builders. And I got to work for him. 
And I learned a trade without even knowing that, that I was just trying to get a job and get married at that time. But I really enjoyed building things. And when I left church work, I provided for my family through construction. And it's, a, it's an honorable calling, and it, but it wasn't mine. I knew that it wasn't mine. But I was working like crazy. I'd get up in the morning early, drive to Orange County, work all day, go straight to uh, Santa Ana College to take fire science courses. I'd eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich on the way there, and then I'd get home at 10 o'clock at night uh, from class, and the whole family would be in bed. I'd shower and, you know, go to bed and get up and do it all over again the next day. And then I got hired after two years of that by the fire department. And, but the problem was I couldn't live off new firefighter wages. So I, was, I had a side hustle. I installed doors and windows. And there were just so many moments where I, like I would look at myself in the mirror. When I was in the fire academy, I took three months off work to go to the fire academy because I get that piece of paper, I can get the job. And I would, the fire academy is rigorous. It starts at 6 a.m., so I was up at 4, getting ready, and then all day, get home around 7 p.m., uh, and then study till midnight or 1, and get up and do it all again. And then on Saturday, Sunday, I was working construction out here in Sun City. I was installing windows and doors. I'd drive from Huntington Beach, I'd leave my house at 4 a.m., and I'd work from sunup to sundown until it was too dark to work. And I would look at myself in the mirror before I would go to work. And I'd be like, am I going to do this forever? This is, this is not what I want to do. And, but what I felt in my heart in that moment was thankfulness to God. I'm being honest with you. I'm not super Christian, but in that moment I was saying, God, thank you that you've given me a way to provide for my family and allow me to pursue things. You know, work doesn't just provide for our needs, it provides for the people that we love for their needs. Some of you are right in the middle of putting your kids through college. Some of you are paying for weddings. You know how you can do that, right? Work. And we did it for three daughters, three colleges, three weddings, and I'm still standing. And work doesn't just provide for your needs or for the things that you care about. It also gives you some extra, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you went on vacation this year? How many of you got a new car, you upgraded? How many of you got a boat? How many of you got a trailer? How many of you got, got camping gear? It's like we... we Working lets us do some of the nice things as well. You know, last week I, I addressed the myth, money can't make you happy. And what I said, and you should, you should listen to it if you haven't heard it. Um, I said, it's like, money's just a resource. It's a thing that God gives us. And if we bring it into right relationship with God, it will bring us joy. Just like everything else that God gives us does. You, don't your kids bring you joy? Well, most of the time. And marriage is the same way. I'll leave the joke out about that in case you're sitting next to your spouse. 
Um, I, two years ago, I redid my garage. I'm so happy that my garage is organized. The garage door goes up and I go. <laughs> Someone was just at my house. I, I let them in my garage remotely. And um, they texted me and said, I got mad respect for your garage. <laughs> that was worth it. How did I do that? I worked. The next time you're tempted to say, take this job and shove it, stop for a minute and thank God that that job you have is paying bills. Lastly, uh, work is a gift from God because work is where our light can shine. Our light can shine. You know, the world needs Christian people who do work Christianly. If you're a parent, your light shines at home too. It's great if you do family devotions, but you know your kids are learning a lot about faith by just the way you let your light shine at home. Jesus, most of you are familiar with this statement, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And the workplace, the place where we spend so much time, obviously, it's going to be a significant place where a Christian can allow their light to shine. I'm not just talking about, talking about Jesus all the time when you should be doing work. You know, uh, I worked with a guy in the fire department. He would like stand up in a class and go, Hey, Britt, I just want you to know Jesus is healing my back. I can feel it right now. He was so weird. And... Um, <laughs> One day, like a bunch of us are standing around, it's like, you know, profanity is a sin. And I think if we, in this country, if we made profanity a death penalty, people would stop cussing. I'm just like looking at him. And like we were driving back to the station, I said, Rich, don't tell people you're a Christian anymore. He's like, what? I'm like, no, dude, you're a bad advertisement. You say weird stuff all the time. He didn't know what to do with me that day, but... But at the workplace, you know, when we, when we bring competency to our job, when we bring professionalism, when we bring compassionate leadership, um, it become, it, we're given opportunities to talk about why we are the way we are. We can talk about values. We can talk about what really matters. And you'll find, I mean, this was true for me, that people will walk in your office, hey, Cap, hey, Chief, can I talk to you a second? Door closes. Sometimes that's about a promotional opportunity, but, you know, it could just as well be about marriage. A marriage is struggling, uh, something going on with one of their kids, a health issue. Sometimes I, I had guys say to me, you know, my wife is going to church, and I just don't get it. I needed to talk to somebody. See, that, you've had those opportunities, I bet. That's because you're letting your light shine. See, work is better than fishing because it's a place where your light can shine because it's what God uses to provide for you and your family because it's a place and a thing where God works on us and in us. And 
It's a place where the secular things that we do become so much more meaningful when we understand their sacredness. And the temporal things that we think are just like, it's just a, it's just a widget I'm building, it has eternal value if we see it through the lens that God has designed us to do this. Work is truly a gift from God. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I just want to point out two things while they're coming. First of all, in your note sheet, I provided three books that I just want to talk about. First of all, there's the God and Guinness story. It's a great story. I recommend that you read that. But then also, um, one of the resources that I use for this series is Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. And if you want a really good theology of work, I encourage you to read it. And I, and I would say, get with some other people. Use that as a study. Often we talk about what's the next thing? What's, how can I go deeper? How can I learn more about what you just talked about? I would say, get that book and study with some people that are in like situation and study the theology of work. It's a really good read. And then if, in particular, if you're a business person, I love uh, the book, How the Church Has Failed Business People. Do that as a study with people. Encourage you to take steps and like pull people together and go deeper. The last thought I want to leave you with is this, that you should crush your vocation, but you should remember the Sabbath. Crush your vocation. That's what I've been talking about today. But you know, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the reason why I end with this is, you know, some of you are working so hard that you get tired. But I want to say something to you. No matter how hard you work, no matter how many hours you put in, this thing you need. In fact, the harder you work, the more you need the, the, the space set aside in your life of worship of God. Not because my sermons are phenomenal, but usually they are. <laughs> but because every time you get together with other believers and you worship God, that's why we're here like something happens. Haven't you like had a moment just during worship where it's like, that's all I needed from God today. Every once in a while, the sermon's decent and you can get a nugget out of that. Maybe you have a conversation with someone in the hallway. Whatever it is, it's like when the church gathers together, worship, God does something. And you know, the, so you can't afford to miss that. So get after it. But make sure that you set aside space to realign yourself and to refuel yourself and to get the spiritual stuff that you need to go out and be transformative in the thing that God has given you to do. Let's pray.